Welcome back to another episode of City Life Uncensored. Incredibly excited today to have you here, TJ. Uh, you know, of course, Brian, love love hanging out in the studio here with you, shooting the shit as we always do, having a good time. Of course, uh, of course. Yeah, man, real excited to have TJ Bencho here with us, hanging out for for some time now. TJ's kind of went uh, a roller coaster of a career so far, and TJ is now. Uh, the head of our business development group, and so handling a lot of our wholesaling and really out there in the marketplace getting investors interested in investing in Pittsburgh, whether it be construction, uh, wholesaling, really even raising capital for us at this point too, the whole nine, or folks interested in, in borrowing money from us. Uh, you know, TJ's career is is long and extensive, ran his own company for quite some time. So really, I you know, maybe we just start there, man. Like, why don't you give us a little little background, like, You've been at City Life for a couple of years now, of course, hanging out with Brian and I. You always say, hey, I'm a City Life for Life guy. You know, that's it's probably quite difficult right now being as a W-2 employee when you spend your first 20 years of your career, something like that, right, at running your own company. So maybe just start off. Tell us, tell us, man, what, what's up? I think, it, I think it would be difficult for any other company, but at City Life, it's not. <laughs> All right, you don't need to keep plugging us. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> It's true because you guys let me run whatever division I'm in at that time like it's my own company. And that's why it works. Um, I've never been employed for anybody in my life until City Life. Actually, that's a lie. I was employed for Mamalina's Pizza. Nice. 15 years yeah. old. Yeah. Were you a cooker? I, I ran the grill. I, okay. I made the hoagies. I got a few burns on my arm. I, I Down in the rocks. I did the gyros in the rocks on nice. Island Avenue. I used to walk across from the bottoms. Across the where where my family started real estate investing in the McKees Rocks Bottoms, I used to walk across the railroad tracks to work every day when I was in high school, and then cook cook hoagies and French fries and gyros, and then walk home at night. So not only are you uh, you know close to being best friends with my oldest brother Sean, but you now have something in common with Timmy that I never knew. Timmy was a Pizza Hut cook for for Did several I? years when he was back in high school too, probably before <laughs> Brian even was yeah, was friends that. with him. Yeah. He was a. He always still says he's one of the best pizza cooks around, and he actually does now make an incredibly good homemade pizza. Like it's probably my favorite pizza I've ever had in my life. Is Timmy's wow. home cooked, grilled? I think he grills it. I don't know what he does. I, and secret tip, sorry, Timmy, but his wife actually makes all the dough, so he doesn't really make it all himself. But it's uh, the hard part. Yeah. Right. Even homemade dough. We need a pizza day at City Life. Yeah. That's not a bad idea. So you, you mentioned, right, you kind of you kind of threw it out there, and I don't know if maybe you can enlighten us on the terms a little bit, but you said the McKees Rocks Bottoms. I know that's where you grew up in McKees Rocks, and obviously you mentioned that there. And so I know that you've got your real estate investment start in McKees Rocks. So maybe let's start there, right? McKees Rocks is obviously near and dear to your heart. Uh, City Life invests in McKees Rocks. We manage several properties down in that area. Uh, you know, near where I live and a few of which are yours, right, on your investments. And so maybe start there. Give us a little bit more about your background from growing up in McKees Rocks and how you got into real estate in the first place. Yeah, so my family has a long history of investing in Pittsburgh real estate. Uh, my great-grandma came over from Croatia in 1895 and uh, bought our family's first investment property in McKees Rocks in 1925. And my family had been investing in, in Pittsburgh. Were there even were there automobiles in McKees Rocks in 1925? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Those are great stats, you know, right away. <laughs> I've heard him say that a time or two. So. <laughs> Once or twice. <laughs> uh, she didn't even speak any English. And then wow. so when I was 10 years old, I started laboring for my dad when he would buy his own investment properties. 
And um, I remember right across the street from where we lived, I would go over there and rip down ceilings, knock down walls, paint. I feel bad for those tenants. At what age? Change job. Ten years old. Ten years old. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I think my dad would give me like five dollars an hour. <laughs> so that was a lot of money, right? <laughs> That's not bad. You, you buy a lot of, uh, lot of lot of gummy fish for five bucks an yeah, hour. <laughs> the old the penny store, right? So that's where I that's where I learned. And then um, after doing, I remember that particular house on Munson Avenue. And then I, I we lived across the street. So then I got to see people move into that house. I was like, that's really really cool. You know, I worked on that house, and now people were living there, and that's their home. And actually, I became friends with the kids that lived there, the family that lived there. And so I knew that I would be real estate investing someday. And then um, my dad had a mortgage company, and when I was 17, I would travel. In the summers, when I wasn't in school, I would travel to real estate investment meetings with him and promote mortgages and promote lines of credit because at that time, Uh lines of credit were really easy. So you were part of the problem. I, I, was, I was a part, without knowing it, I promoted a lot of negative amortization mortgages and unsecured business lines of credit, many. <laughs> and, uh, and that's how I got started. I, I, I would travel to real estate meetings at 17 years old, all on the East Coast, promoting mortgages. And along the way, people started to ask my dad and I, what we were doing in Pittsburgh in real estate. And at the time in Pittsburgh, real estate, you could buy homes for $15,000, $20,000. You probably remember. You could put ten dollars to $15,000 in and they would appraise at fifty five. dollars So before Bigger Pockets ever had anything called a burst strategy, we were doing the burst strategy. Mm-hmm. And that's how we started to build our real estate portfolio. So over time, um, we started to partner with people from other cities because we weren't really trying to build a business, but of course we needed money. So yeah. we would partner capital. with people. We needed capital. Yeah. And so we would partner with people and we, we formulated a property management company, a construction company, eventually a more, uh, a marketing company. And then we started traveling around. So the how, world. how old were you at that point really when you can kind of say, Hey, yeah, we at that point had our construction company, had our mortgage company, had our, property management company, had our marketing company, when you had all these things, at what age were you at that point? I'd say it was 2000, I would say 2008. So I was 24 years old. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yep. My dad ran the operations on the ground and uh, I ran more of the property management and all the marketing. So I was going to real estate investment meetings and getting up in front of crowds, speaking, telling them how awesome Pittsburgh is because it is. And that's why I know a lot of the stats I know. And then investors would come and invest here in Pittsburgh and we would get paid a consultation fee. They would utilize our property management services and our construction services. So that went on for the next several years and it went really, really well. Um, However, me and my dad, we parted ways at some point uh, just for life terms. And, and then I had another partner and I was doing it on my own. And then, uh, Sean, your older brother, told me that you and Brian had started this business. Mm-hmm. So you and I started to talk. And uh, I, I never thought I could be employed. I didn't think I was employable, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, someone the, 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 uh, the answer or verdict to that's still out. But <laughs> <laughs> When you looked at my resume, all it said was one thing. And, well, uh, I'll tell a quick story because the first time we did ever meet, right, it was it was at the very beginning. And actually, I think it potentially was prior to Brian and I officially partnering. I think we had started talking and I was working with Brian and we met 
and was more of just kind of like see what's out there. It was back in, you know, for me before, you know, when I gave paid my wife for, for six months of, uh, you know, not going back to corporate America once I got fired from my job. <laughs> and so, you know, in quite, quite TJ fashion, it was, Hey, meet me at Starbucks at this time. Okay. <laughs> like, so, so we sit down and we meet and you're basically at that point in time said, I'm not interested in doing anything, but if you meet me on Saturday morning at 7am to play basketball, we can talk more then. <laughs> so I'm like, well, hon, I guess I'm going to play basketball Saturday morning at 7am at TJ's church. And there I was Saturday morning. That was a good game. Yeah, of course I didn't lose a game for all those out there wondering. I still haven't lost in basketball in years. So if anyone wants to play me. so so anyways you know with all that being said right obviously man that's a that's that's quite a career right so now you're here at city life and kind of the rest is history and and you love it here but i'm sure incredible amount of trials tribulations issues problems right obviously if you you were 24 and 08 and so you experienced some of the market crash obviously and if you were selling mortgages you created the market crash at the end of the day you and you know many of your competitors and, and colleagues and peers and everything else at the end of the day so maybe walk through you know some trials and tribulations you, you had or what that what that time was like when the market did crash maybe give us some some of the some insights into like wow this isn't all it's cracked up to be it's, it's kind of funny because when I, I went to Florida State for two and a half years and then came back to Duquesne and when I was at Duquesne I wrote a paper on how amazing the subprime mortgage market was because we were making a ton of money yeah. utilizing the subprime mortgage market, not realizing actually what was happening yeah. as a result on the back end. Um, and not to be insensitive, but the subprime mortgage market, actually we utilized it for good. I'm not the subprime mortgage market, the crash of 08. We utilized it for good because when the market crashed, we shifted out of the mortgage business. We owned a mortgage company up until 08. We shut down our mortgage company at that point because we we tried to keep running the mortgage company. However, um, at that point, it went from being able to process and close a loan in about three to four weeks to taking about six to eight weeks to close a loan. Everything tightened up so much. And we shifted totally out of that, focused primarily on the real estate investment company. And there was an abundance of opportunity available at that time. And we're seeing possibly, a sh- not obviously not the same on the same scale, but we're seeing a little bit of shift back in that direction with, with the social media and, and media in general, uh, promoting fear of everybody. Inflation is up, interest rates are up, people are scared. So I'm seeing right now a lot of similarities to 08 as of right now, not obviously not on the same scale at all. Yeah. Um, but with the opportunity available, so someone like myself, I get excited right now. I don't get excited for people to experience hard times, but I get ex- excited for the opportunities that are available. Yeah. And that makes sense. And obviously, you know, so it's been about four weeks here, you working in the, in the business development side, right? And so you, you of course, mentioned the word opportunities, which, right, any good investor right now is really kind of, biting her nails saying, oh my God, I'm ready to go. They're a little nervous because things aren't looking great, but the opportunity's coming. Obviously, Brian, you've been on the lead gen side for us really from the day we started together because, you know, from a lead generation perspective, that's not my world and we both know that. And so from a true lead generation standpoint, it hasn't been me. Having TJ coming into your world, right? What's that been like for you guys so far over the last, you know, month, especially knowing that we have such opportunity on the horizon, or at least we think 
right? And obviously we're seeing the market come down tremendously from a value perspective, which we know when that happens, there's going to be opportunity. And that's why we all think that. So what, what's, what, how's it been? Oh, it's been awesome. No, it's been great. Now the, uh, the potential to buy we know is coming. It's definitely coming. We need somebody to really mold those relationships, really get those buyers ready to buy. Like you said, you experienced some hardships some years ago. Those hardships are nowhere near right now. Like it's interest rates are up a little bit, same price as they were a few years ago. It's not that much different. So having buyers molded and ready and active, ready to buy, TJ is going to be the best at that by far. Getting the guys pumped up for that on lead. I don't creation. know, guys. This is like, what are we doing here? I'm just talking each other up left and right. <laughs> no, nah. it's, it's the truth. So we know with TJ, since the day we got him in there, we're like, we got to get TJ selling. TJ's a salesman, a yeah. good salesman. And he comes from like a point of value, which is incredible. You crushed it on property management for so many years for us. Thanks. And that's, we were growing a huge portfolio and it was a little bit easier to buy. We weren't really wholesale, so we didn't need you so much in sales. Mm. But you came in there and just crushed that, sold internally, sold us on, like sold our tenants, whatever was needed. So now it's we're going to be more customer-facing. Having TJ on our side, on the customer-facing side, is going to be incredible. So, so far, it's been great. Yeah, I mean, right at the end of the day, if we think about it, and you, you kind of brought up a good point, TJ ran our property management company for several years you know, when he first started, when, when he became employable and we hired TJ after several months of having to go play basketball at the church and, you know, forming our business and wanting to buy at the rate we were, right. We kind of hit the boom, the buy period in order for us to focus on, you know, building that portfolio, building the company, building the team, we needed someone to really anchor down on that back end. Right. So what was it like for you being able to be out there, right, by buying, uh, you know, creating lead generation opportunities, analyzing deals, running the construction side of the company, knowing, right, you didn't have to on the back end deal with the property management, how to scale that side of the company, right? Because from day one, we always talked about it. You've got to have that back end anchor down in order to grow. Yeah, I know <clears throat> it was one of the bottlenecks I had buying properties. I know I only looked in certain areas because of on the back end. I didn't want to manage in all areas. Yeah. So I was buying in. I even sold my Carrick houses where I lived a good portion of my life. I sold them because they were becoming a pain to manage just to buy Brookline, Beachview, Mount Washington houses. But that was because I knew whatever I bought, I had to take care of on the management side. So as we started building out that management and really got a good anchor in TJ, knowing that, hey, if we buy this property, not only is it going to get leased out in time, it's going to be handled. It's going to be, it's going to be a good place. It's still going to be good for tenants and TJ knows his stuff. So that opened up areas all over the city. Now we own properties in probably 20 different areas at least. Yeah. Areas I never thought I would go out east ever. Like to go out to Penn Hills to buy a property or Verona, that was not on the radar. As you know, you and I both know, we're like, we don't even want to cross. We don't want to go through that tunnel. Pretty no, much we ever. didn't for a while. Now we own a 100 plus units in Penn Hills right now. So that just goes to show you whenever you start having a good management company behind you, your confidence in buying completely changes because you know you don't have to drive to Penn Hills at Saturday morning to answer a tenant uh, complaint, checking on toilets, or trying to manage a subcontractor. You have a company now taking care of that for you. So it opened up a ton of doors for us as a company. Yeah, without a doubt, right? And, you know, we always we always talk about it, and it's one of those things out in the marketplace that that 
really hits home for me because there's so many property management companies. That's one of those spaces that a lot of people get into and think, hey, I could become a property management company, right? TJ, you and I talk about this all the time, how there are, you know, you get a you get a post on Facebook in a group now and then there's 50, 65 messages of all kinds of different property management companies. Like there's a few things that differentiate a good property management company from a bad property management and really a good property management company, which in my opinion, without a doubt, Every investor in the country should be hiring a good property management company. We cannot manage properties on our own. As investors, I don't care if it's one, two, three, four, five, five hundred, five thousand, twenty-five thousand deals. It is imperative that you find a good property management company. That's the key. Many landlords, right, say, I can't find a good property management company, so they try to do it themselves. Or it's not worth the money early on to pay for a management company because of the cost and I don't have enough. What they don't realize is all the hidden costs that go into trying to manage it yourself. You're not an expert, right? We don't hire, you know, we, we don't pretend to be a lawyer and go trial a murder case, right? We hire the expert to hire and to come in and be our trial lawyer for a murder case. Why are we not hiring management companies, right? And so internally, of course, we knew that we created our own and we put the best of the best running that and we still have that at the end of the day. And we invested heavily into our people to really, really focus on having a great back-end property management company. TJ, why don't you, if you don't mind, give us, right? Because you were you the face of our property management company for two years. And for all intents and purposes, we still go to you with a lot of questions around leasing, management, customer service, process, all those different things, right? What are some keys at the end of the day that 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 create a strong property management company where that kind of you know, limelight on in Facebook and out in the world of like bad property management companies and bad reviews, et cetera, get out there and why that happens. What are the keys to make sure we, you are a great property management company for investors? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so f- first and foremost, what is allowed, I'm going to go into salesman mode a little bit. <laughs> what is allowed? <laughs> TJ go into salesman <laughs> mode. You guys heard that here first and you'll hear it many, many more times if you ever follow TJ. What, what, what happened with City Life and allowed us to go from five, zero units to over 500 units in three years or less was the property management aspect of it. I mean, that's that's just owning too, right? Because we, you know, after, I guess, our first full year in business, we, we, we took a management company out to third party. So yeah. we managed more. We managed more than that 500. I think we're up above 800 at this yeah. point in total management. But along the way, it was managing more than 500 in under three years for yeah. sure. Oh yeah, 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 and and what allowed that to happen was, um, not to be conceited, but they City Life invested in me before they were ready to invest in me. You know, like you invested ahead of what you had the financial ability to do, which then allowed you to get the financial ability to do that. And along the way, we did that the entire time. So what I'm saying is, with property management, it's hiring right and hiring ahead of the curve. Right. We brought Evan on, who's an absolute hustler, before we were ready to bring Evan on. We brought Sarah on before we were ready to bring Sarah on. And we did that every step of the way because what happens in property management, it's a customer service business. And it's not just a customer service business to your tenant. It's a customer service business to your owner. And it's a customer service business to your vendors. Right. The people that are doing work for you, you're not going to have quality vendors if you don't provide customer service to them. So if you don't have the right people in place in all aspects of property management, leasing, tenant relations, owner relations, vendor relations, maintenance, 
you're going to fail. And we hired in our maintenance division. I, I didn't even mention that. We hired in that division well before we were ready. We now have a fleet of three beautiful vehicles, right? I mean, we're, we're fully invested in this property management company. So number one, to be successful in property management, you got to be willing to invest in your property management team and your property management company or else you're going to fail. When, when I had my own company, I, I grew my own property management business twice and got rid of it twice. And I worked with four other property management companies. I've watched several fail because they were penny wise and dollar senseless. That person that helped them get to 50 units, they thought was going to get them to 200 units. Absolutely absurd. You can't do it and maintain that quality of service. And then what happens is tenants start to turn over, your maintenance costs go through the roof, and it just doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work. And then to take a, to go along with that, what City Life did right and what makes you be able to have successful rental properties with a property management company is renovating the properties to the quality of tenant you want to have. So many owners want to go in and do a half crap renovation and expect a high quality tenant. It doesn't happen. No high quality person is going to move into a place that's a crap hole. It's just not going to happen. Should we should we coin the term crap hole, TJ Bencha? <laughs> crap hole Bencha. <laughs> well, with that being said, TJ, why don't you give maybe you know give us right? Because again, at the end of the day. For me, I, I started investing a little over three years ago, right? And, you know, there's a lot of people out there aspiring, and we, we've done it quick. I found an gr- incredible business partner, obviously, sitting next to you in order to get 500 you know units in three years. You know, for a lot of people, that's not realistic. And one of the big key points that I'll tell everybody is don't ever compare yourself to anybody else. It's one of the hardest things ever to do in life and in business, especially in the world we live in now in social media. The moment you start trying to compare yourself to other people is the moment you're going to create failure for yourself because yep. it's all about mindset. But anyways, with that being said, give maybe a, a few tips, tricks, tools, whatever it is. How do we decide as investors when we're just getting started or, hey, we're at the point where you know we made a mistake and, and tried to be a self-landlord and now we're, we've got to turn our portfolio over to somebody? How, how do we know or how can we dive into asking the right questions on who we ultimately during the interview process, right? Because we always used to talk about it. Management is a two-way interview street. We're also interviewing our investors to make sure they fit it with us. But for them, how do they interview us to make sure it's a good fit, whether it be us, you know, or, or, you know, I don't believe in competition, right? So, so our friends down the street at, uh, you know, some of the other management companies here locally that we know, like, and trust as well, and, and happy that they're doing great jobs because we believe in management of, properties especially here in pittsburgh our city that we that we love so what what are some good you know questions maybe that we can ask to property management companies to determine if in fact they're the right people for us yeah good question number one you you knew i was going to say this but ask them what their tenant screening process is and really get to learn and understand their tenant screening process that's that's the most important step in my opinion of starting the property management process because if you don't screen the tenants properly you're going to have a high level of tenant turnover and tenant turnover is your highest cost as a landlord uh we we could do a whole show on just the tenant screening process spare us for now i'll spare you (laughs) very very important we'll bring you back we'll bring you back for that (laughs) just tenant screening yeah uh, podcast um number two find out how invested the owners are 
of the property management company in their property management business. I've seen this time and time again where you got a, a broker who just wants to make some extra money, starts up a property management company, and it's sort of a lot little side spinoff and then hires somebody for X number of dollars a year that he thinks is going to run it. And if that owner is not extremely committed and invested in the property management company, then the, the, the likelihood of success is low because let's be honest, property management is a, is a business where you're dealing with problems day in and day yeah, out. It's problem solving. And it's hard to keep somebody who's not really invested in it in the business, right? So, so that is very, very important. And then also find out what programs they're using, what software they're using, what systems they're, not just their software, but their systems. What systems they have in play to handle all the things that come up day to day. That's what we've done at City Life over the years. Um, it, it's just built system after system after system to the point where now we can hire and train and plug people into those systems. Um, and then one last thing I would say is find out their stance and their, their policy and process when you do have a delinquent tenant. That is such a big deal because whether it's a great tenant, everybody runs into hard times in life. So when it comes the fifth of the month and that tenant for us, the fourth of the month, and that tenant still hasn't paid, what system does that company follow? Because using that as an opportunity to grow a relationship with a tenant and then get them on path, it's such a good time to deepen that relationship and build a long-term tenant. Whereas if you have a property management company that just buries their head in the sand or isn't on top of it right away, now you're putting your, your performing asset in a position to become a non-performing asset. Yeah, right. And if you think about back back during COVID, I mean, it was a it was a crazy time. I remember when COVID first hit. You know, no one had any idea what was going to happen. I'm calling every bank. Everyone in the country's calling every bank. Obviously, the banks put everything in forbearance, and that was okay. But you know, we had at the end of the day some of the best collection rates. We had someone full time working with the CARES program, right? So that you know that hits home for us, right? And you know, we we put a ton of time into understanding how and what to do when those situations occur. And I think even to this point in time in our day, and it speaks volumes to our tenant screening process, as well as our, you know, customer service that we provide to our tenants. I think our collections is still, you know, across 800 units. I think our monthly rent roll across all of those is, you know, certainly above half a million a year. I don't even know exactly what it is across the entire management portfolio, but, uh, you know, I still think we're in collections under 1%. So absolutely fantastic when you really think about, you know, everything that's going on, post COVID, you know, et cetera. It, it's really a testament to the, to the tenants that are living in the 800 plus units that we manage right now. And of course, uh, growing every day and, you know, we're in the multifamily now. And so we're continuing to try to work to get great tenants into our multifamily buildings, et cetera. Brian, what's that been like for you in terms of, you know, looking at multifamily, determining if we're going to acquire those properties and understanding the turnover process, how management works, getting the right tenants in those places, right? When you're analyzing those deals on that front end, and of, of course, you've got to be working with your back end and understanding what that process is going to be like, how long will it take talking with TJ, talking with the team in terms of what's all that, what all that looks like? How's that been for you? It's going into multifamily has been a little bit more challenging because I think it's it's more data. It's more longer term data of like, hey, how is this asset going to perform? And a lot of times we were going into, we know we do good renovations. 
we know we historically did good renovations and got really good tenants and pretty much all of our single families or duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes or eight units. Now these bigger ones, it's like, what is the market for that? Because we're going in and buying them and they're not fully renovated. So going in and doing that, it's more of a testing phase, call it. So whenever I'm looking at those ones, it's like, are, if we renovate each one, like we traditionally do a city life reno, are we going to get to $1,200 we're used to for a two bedroom here, the same as down the street in a duplex? All right, I got I to gotta cut you off and I'll throw this back to both of you because I have to ask this because we talk about it all <clears> of the time and it's one of the biggest beliefs that we have as a company. We call it a city life reno. Like, but that's a that's a term we could absolutely coin. What's that mean to you guys when you say city life reno? Because you guys both say it all of the time. You know, I've never I've been hung a sign in my own house. I don't hang pictures. My wife does all that. My wife does most of the handyman work around the house. I do nothing. So a city life reno to me could you know what's what is that? What's that mean? So I got the phrase from him or Evan <laughs> from always saying, "Is this going to be a city life reno?" So, so management <laughs> management asking you on the front end, is this going to be a, so a turnover? Is it going to be a city life reno or not? Yeah. What's that mean? It means are we going to make the place nice as shit? Like that, that's yeah. what it Overly, is. Overly overdo it? It's going to overdo it. Yeah, that means by overdo it, it's, I always looked at a lot of investors, a lot of landlords always put cheap finishes in. They still go through the work of putting in electric, making sure the walls don't have holes in it, painting. But they always put cheap finishes in. They never went that extra that little extra mile of putting quartz in backsplash, adding in nice quality cabinets, uh, shaker style cabinets, instead of just touching up the old ones with the broken drawers and everything else, toweling the showers versus not toweling the showers, adding in a nice new vanity instead of the standard vanity you see at Home Depot with like the light brown cabinet, very standard. Yeah. Uh, the Touch big, it with your foot and, <clears throat> and the door falls off. Yeah, basically, if a contractor says it's just a rental, we're only going to do rental. Oh, the it's worst. It's the worst. It's the biggest, biggest pet peeve of mine. It's not just a rental. There's somebody's going to be living here in this property. Spend the extra money on it. You're going to get a better quality tenant, better quality of life. It's going to rent faster. It's going to look better overall. Your contractor is going to be happy about doing it. You're going to be proud of seeing that work over and over. And their friends are going to tell about you, et cetera. So the city life reno to me is taking pride in your renovation, taking like having some kind of pride in your work, some kind of pride in where somebody lives. I love that. I love that. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, when I came to city life, I was in shock that we were painting the exteriors. And and actually, I kind of was against it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, down at 313 Gardner, uh, I just acquired other 50% from my owner. I met my partner. I painted the outside. There you go. You know, because it's beautiful. It changes the neighborhood. Yep. You know, so a city life reno doesn't just impact the tenant that's going to live there. It actually impacts the entire neighborhood from the outside in, right? You're, you're adding this quality renovation to this neighborhood that's going to up the values of all the homes around it, up the curb appeal, up the quality of, maybe not always, but the quality of people you're going to get in there. Because I'm saying maybe not always, because hopefully sometimes there's already quality people there. Yeah. But, um, and then it goes all the way through the backsplashes we use, the flooring we use, um, just some of the cool things like Brian, you throw in there and different, like the one home had the black and white flooring towel on the bathrooms and the kitchen. It's just different stuff that pops that makes people want to live there. When we get our pictures and we go to post a property for rent, people are like, 
wow, this is where I want to live. It doesn't feel like you're in Pittsburgh because people feel like Pittsburgh's my favorite place in the world, and I've lived in other places, but people feel like Pittsburgh's old and smoky still like when we, we had the um, all the uh, steel mills. mills. It's not like that anymore. And the City Life Renos help people realize that Pittsburgh has come along. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, you – you bought you bought a partner out recently, and you painted the exterior, and so you you know rubbing off the city life renovations on you. Uh, so obviously, you you own real estate, right? You're a real estate investor, so you ran your businesses for quite a while. You became an investor. You have partnerships. Maybe speak a little bit to how you know some of the the better or worst partnerships you had in your in your career so far. Mentorship, right? The value of the other people that you're working with on a daily basis, and how important it is to find amazing people to kind of work with from a partnership, a mentorship, uh, that whole world that we're living in. How's that look for you? Oh, that's amazing. You know, the people. I think that every person that you're involved with, there's there's lessons to be learned. Um, I don't know why this just came to my mind, but today is my grandmother, my dad's mom's 90th birthday. Happy which, birthday, Grandma. Yeah, yeah, which is really cool. Me and the boys called her this morning and sung her happy birthday. The first time it didn't work, she dropped the phone and it went, it's a, still an old school phone, and then we had to call her back. But anyways, so she was a big part of my life. I lived with her a large portion of my life. My mom was 18. My dad was 21 when they had me, so we lived with her a large portion of my life. And then my dad's dad, uh, before he passed away, he was my biggest mentor, my granddad. Um, so just a, just a great man, never said a bad word about anybody. Um, and then moving along, my Can, father, did that rub off on you? I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my goals. Um, my dad was a major mentor of mine, still is. And we were business partners for a long time. Had another partner. Things didn't go so well. Um, you know, but I learned a lot from that, that opportunity. Um, a large portion of my business was all family, was my employees. Um, my mom, my grandma, my aunt. One of my, my aunt, Val, she's over here at City Life now. Yeah. So uh, the, the biggest challenge I had, I, I've always had mentors in the church. I always ask whoever the pastor is to be my mentor, and, and I meet with them and things like that, and I look to them for guidance. So I believe in always finding someone who can push you to be better, and that's one of the biggest things that brought me over here to City Life. I, w- I was running my own business primarily by myself for so long, I felt like, I was always told that whatever I thought, whatever I was doing was the right thing. But growing up being a sports player, I always want to be pushed. And I wasn't being pushed. And I was trying to push myself as much as I could. And then coming on the city life, Brian and Casey started to challenge me right away. I remember one day I walked into the office with like, probably like two grand in my hand. I just went and collected from a tenant early on. <laughs> and Brian and Casey are like, How's this person going to pay rent? And even though I'm huge on tenant screening, that two grand in my hand at that moment trumped the idea of this person paying rent. And I actually met up with that person later today and gave her two grand back because the reality was she wasn't going to be able to pay. We didn't feel confident she was going to be able to pay rent for the long run. And I've been challenged so many times along the way. So I look at Brian and Casey as as mentors of mine. Uh, What you guys have done is amazing. And so... Um, mentors Thanks, buddy. Appreciate that. You gotta get me all feeling all soft and googly in the middle of freaking a camera. <laughs> like, come on, bro. DJ's good at that. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you don't, I, I highly recommend anybody having a mentor, someone that you look for, someone to push you, to steer you in the right direction, yeah. right? Because it's so easy to tell yourself where you're going is the right way. 
And, and one of the person who does that most in my life is my wife. Sometimes that's the hardest. Yeah. But she stands up. Everyone thinks she's super just laid back and non-confrontational. She is with everybody but me. And, uh, but she needs to be. I know the feeling. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, it's funny you say that, right? Because I, I couldn't agree more, right, when it comes to the getting mentorship and, and you know, suppressing time is, is, is a lot of what that is. And obviously, Brian and I started in City Life three years ago you know, what it is today. And for the record, Brian actually had created the name many years prior to that. But anyways, kind of what we've created today in City Life when we started it and, you know, where we're at now, you know, I, I've never been a CEO of a company. I don't necessarily, there's not, I don't know everything. Right. And I didn't have, um, you know, a ton of mentorship in my life when it comes to business, when it comes to wanting to create something bigger than myself, uh, you know, to, to look, down on the business and really, you know, not up or in and really see and understand and develop. Right. And so for me, it was, it was spending money to get that mentorship, right? Like there's nothing wrong with that. The idea of suppressing tie, the, the idea of paying people to mentor us. Right. And what usually comes of that is friendships is true relationships that, that spark out of that because you realize so many different things. So many people think alike. Right. So, you know, you know, you don't always have to look far or wide or find a church or find, you know, somebody that's doing what you're doing that you, you know, whatever that is, you could pay for mentorship. If you don't naturally have it, if you don't have a, a father that ran a big company or you don't have an investor in real estate in your family or whatever it is that you're going after. So, you know, I wanted to make sure that point is known that you can always pay for mentorship if you have to, because it's all about getting what you need wherever you're going in life to your point pushing you outside of your comfort zone, right? Like I could sit back here and say, okay, hey, City Life's now is what it is and uh, we're good. Or I can pay for mentorship, pay for someone to push the shit out of us to be bigger and better than what we are now. And that's, of course, obviously we've spent quite a bit of money on it over the last couple of years to really help us suppress time, to really help fix and grow our company. And it's been, um, it's life-changing. But let me change gears here with you, right, TJ? Um, you know, Brian and I talk about this all the time. And obviously this is huge for you. And, you know, dating back to when you started at City Life, it was huge. And it was a big part of a lot of the conversations we had as family. And you mentioned it, right? You called you called your grand the 90th birthday with the boys. So maybe speak a little bit about to your family and how you're able to juggle, right, family life with business life. You're a real estate investor. You have your own properties. You have partnerships. Clearly, you work a full-time job at City Life that you're, you're vested in more than you could ever imagine mentally. All you want to do is crush it. All you think about is that. You have your boys at home, you have your wife, you have family, you have a ton of balls in the air that you're juggling. How or the heck are you able to do that? It's just, I think it comes with practice. Early on, it wasn't, wasn't easy to do. And uh, you just, being that I, I mean, honestly, just kind of jokingly, but serious, like working in city life is like vacation for me. I work <laughs> my butt off, but being that I don't have to... <laughs> run my own company and think about every aspect you guys tell me where to hone in on. It's made it easiest from a focal standpoint. Um, coaching has helped me a lot because once I hit that practice field for football or the mat for wrestling, my mind just shuts off of work and I just zone in on whatever sport that is at the time. But even that, when the kids were young, uh, that that was harder when you're sitting around with a baby in your hand and you could be doing emails and oh, it's tough <laughs> to yeah. not to not do yeah. that. Sometimes it's challenging, but it's just it's a discipline like going to the gym, 
It's a discipline like getting to work early. It's a discipline like, you know, making the follow-up phone calls that you don't feel like making. Um, but you just have to practice it. That's all. No one's. I don't think anyone's perfect. I'm not perfect. You know, there's times yeah. where my kids are talking to me and I'm sitting there and I want to close a deal, right? And I'm like, I have to tell myself, put the phone down now, focus on your kids for the next hour, and then tell them you need 30 minutes alone. You know, that's it's just figuring out what works for you and um, making sure if, if you do have a significant other that you're on the same page about it. That's absolutely huge. Yeah. For me. Yeah, and I'll, I will, uh, I'll tell you right, obviously, what goes on behind closed doors, nobody knows, but you're one of the best I've ever seen in terms of being able to juggle that, right? Being open and honest with your kids, with your wife, and, and being able to create that synergy between work, home, life balance. I've, I've, you know, top of my head, I'm not sure that I've ever seen anybody better at it, at least outward facing of what we see in terms of being able to juggle that, being able to be so ultra focused on what it is that you're doing. When you're at home, you're focused on home, right? Obviously you're answering texts and things when you have to, but it's like, hey, I've got to be honest with them, and right? You just said it there. Hey, give me 10 minutes. Let me go do this. I know what I'm always doing is going hiding in the shitter, right? <laughs> give me 10 minutes on the shitter so I can answer my emails and texts. And I go, Right off, oh, it's a bad one, honey. I got I need an extra five minutes here. <laughs> right? Like it's it's tough. And obviously for me, it's you know, I'm still learning that. I'm I'm not as, as far along on that journey, right? I haven't had the amount of experience you've had really figuring out how to build all that and the communication and um right at the end of the day, juggling all those different balls. And, you know, I had a conversation last night with my wife. She's just like, I don't understand how you handle the stress so well of everything that you're doing and when things aren't great, I said, I don't understand it either, <laughs> right? Because the truth is, I don't. Right. You know, just you, you just figure it out. You focus. You go after. You wake up the next day. You're like, all right, what are we attacking today? Let's let's get better every single day. One of the things that's helped me as the kids have gotten older is I, the kids know everything I'm doing within city life. Like they're a part. It's a part of our life. It's not a separate life. You know what I mean? Like like we ran into one of our maintenance technicians at, at uh, Eaton Park last Saturday. And I talked to him, I introduced him the name, but then he walked away and he said, they said, is that that guy that we were talking about earlier today? I was like, yeah, that was him. So they're a part of everything we do. They've helped me uh, demo homes. They own their own real estate and wow. they see the money. I show them every month when City Life Property Management pays me. I show them their money coming out, coming into the account, the tithe going out and then the money going into their own bank accounts. So they understand actually what's happening within the city life business and what's happening with our real estate. You mean from a, you mean your net, your net rents? Yeah. Since city life manages your properties as well. Makes sense. Brian, how about you, bro? You've got a couple young ones at home. How's that? You know what I mean? Obviously I'm right now doing a little bit more travel and been able to fit that into my schedule, going out to get some mentorship with us, kind of with my role being a little bit different than your role in a company. But I know it's a little bit more challenging for you. You're, you know, you kind of got, Two of the kids running around like crazy, obviously incredibly oh, yeah. difficult to rein them in. So how's that been for you <laughs> juggling, you know, the home work-life balance? Because I know how you think. I know you're always creating something in that brain of yours. How's that? Oh, it was super, like you said, early on it was most challenging. But be dead honest, uh, TJ's been with us a lot of my second one's journey. So I definitely look at you for like a lot of, like inspiration definitely rubs off a lot where it's like, all right, if he can do it, I can do it as well. But it's like, it's it's inspiring to see somebody else around you, your peers around you, taking care of their kids, like doing that and doing it at a high level, knowing you have a lot on your plate as well. 
So I'll tell you that, <clears throat> that alone helped me a ton. But figuring it out was tough. I mean, yeah, we got a boy who's almost three. He is a maniac. I mean, he is absolute <laughs> maniac. He's been attached to my hip for like the last week, which has been awesome. More love than I've probably ever had for him. He's constantly wanting to hang out, but it's checking those emails or getting anything because I think through stuff. So even to text something, I'm like, uh, I just, I, I, I got to put the phone down. Phone down for like two or three hours a night. I'm checking there just to make sure I didn't lose too much. Marking down thoughts in between. I keep my notebook out. So I'll run down. All right, I got to do this. Got to do that. But instead of trying to communicate, I'm just thoughts that are popping in, in my head. I'm writing it down or texting it to myself instead of engaging in the conversations that I get set a time right before bed. Okay, 30, 40 minutes at least to go back and catch up, gather thoughts, then get back at it in the morning. But yeah, I mean, the kids are everything. And it's definitely, they notice what you're doing even at a young age. Yeah. They'll grab a fake phone and act like they're on the phone talking to people and stuff like that. So I always try being very aware of, don't let them see that I'm constantly, I don't want to be in front of, I don't want to be present in front of kids and not be present. That's like the biggest challenge, I would say. And the biggest thing I don't want to come off being in front of my own kids. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. TJ, I like to, I like to ask everybody this question, and, and we'll always will, right? And I don't want your sales pitch answer. I want, I want, I want real, you know, and, and it's not, not that you are always a sales pitch type of guy, right? But, you know, it's easy to turn this question into a salesy pitch. But give me, you know, what are, obviously you've, you've had a journey that ended you here at City Life and still investing in real estate. You know, obviously you're invested in City Life, both time and a good chunk of money, right? At the end of the day is invested in City Life. You have your own real estate. You had a mortgage company that you turned, you, know, you pivoted and shut down in 08. You know, prior to that, you're fixing houses at the age of 10 years old ridiculously long career of amazing stuff, right? Trials, tribulations, success. What's some of the biggest, or maybe one or two, whatever, right? What's the biggest regrets that you have throughout all of this journey? Biggest regrets, that's a tough one. I mean, in an honest statement, I really don't have any. I have zero regrets. Because um, every, everything that I, every challenge I came across helped me to get to where I am. So I, I, I don't have any. It's an honest. Yeah, right. I, th I think at the end of the day, there was a saying that I heard recently when, when you answer like that. It said, the only time you could ever actually lose is if you quit. Yeah. Right. So no matter what happens, negative, right, you, you lose a race or you, you have a deal gone wrong. As long as you don't quit, there's still an opportunity to win yeah. at the end of the day. Right. And you use that as a learning experience, as a learning opportunity to get better and as long as you're always doing that you're always going to eventually win at this game of life that we're living so no it's a, it's a it's a cool answer and i and i know that's an honest answer out of you right because of the way that your mindset is the way that you work is always hey how are we getting better and you you know you're a huge part of the city life culture and you know we all we're going to make mistakes every day but how do we get better from it right how's this an opportunity to to go and I always hear you kind of through the walls and whatever else, like taking everything that ever happens and turning it into an opportunity. And that's our culture. So we, you know, we, you know, obviously really appreciate that. Where do you see yourself in five years, man? And I obviously, I, I know you see yourself at City Life, but, but deeper than that, you know, life, career, journey, right? Where do you see yourself five, 10 years from now? What's, what's that for you? So, you know, Thomas is 12, uh, Luke's 10, Tucker's seven. So we got, at least 11 more years till Tucker goes to college. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Tuck's that kind. No, he's the baby. He might be at home until 40. Who knows? But uh, no, he's going to be. <laughs> no, Tucker's an independent young seven-year-old. We got two older brothers that beat him up yeah. every day. Yeah, he loves his mom. Though. That dude loves his mom. That's why I said that. But Tucker's going to conquer the world. But uh, my goal is, uh, mine and Jen's goal is by the time at the end of our 40, 50 year, we're 38, to have $300,000 in net passive income. Um, and... You know, that, that'll be amazing. That just provides more freedom. And the real reason behind that is to pass that freedom down to our children. We want our kids to, to learn, um, to have other people working for them, their money, not them working for every penny, so that they can choose to do what they want to do for a living, not do what they need to do to support the lifestyle that they want to live. That's really what we're looking to get. I'm all, Honestly, I'm already living the lifestyle I want to live, so... Um, I'm in no hurry to go anywhere. But within that, you know, I see us here at City Life doing amazing things. I have no idea what that even looks like. Um, I see myself being involved some way, shape or form at City Life, probably different than what I'm doing now where I never have to look at an email. <laughs> TJ, you're quite good at talking, so we want to get you more and more out there talking, That's right? Obviously, we, we moved you in the business development about four weeks ago, so... Uh, those of you watching this podcast, you know, where can, where can they find you? Obviously doing a lot of our business development now, right? Looking to, to provide the opportunity that we're giving out to, to customers and to investors in Pittsburgh from a business development standpoint. You're the go-to guy. How do they get a hold of you? Uh, call me. Call me or email me. 412 <laughs> I love that you just gave out your cell phone on air right there. That's amazing. Call me, man. Me. Obviously, you got your socials up and running, right? Reach out to City Life, whatever you've got to do. Get a hold of this man. He's absolutely crushing it. So uh, without a doubt, man, really appreciate you spending some time with us here uh, on City Life Uncensored. Uh, it's always fun catching up with you, especially in front of the camera to, to see what you're doing. And uh, uh, we appreciate it. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks, buddy. Until next time, appreciate here you. at uh, City Life Uncensored, let's go.